0: Hello, and welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. The Bible can be intimidating, right? How do we make sense of it all? And what does it mean for our lives? I think the Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Let me tell you a bit about myself. In my career, I've been a Mission Start pastor, a lead pastor, a national ministry coach, and for the last decade, I've had the privilege of serving on the Time of Grace team. Today, we continue with our series that I've called The Grand Ands of the Bible. In this series, we are taking a look at important pairs of Bible words connected with the word and. In our last episode, we looked at heaven and earth. We explored the many facets of how this phrase is used both uh, in the Old and New Testaments. Our big takeaways from heaven and earth were realizing that the very best of this world can never compare with what God has in store for us in the new heavens and the new earth. And the worst of this world is only temporary. Just a tiny dot on the line of eternity. The grand Anne that we want to explore today is the phrase Lord and Savior. The word Lord occurs a whopping 6,749 times in the Bible, if you're using the NIV translation. The word Savior occurs 59 times. And you want to guess in which testament of the Bible the word Savior occurs more frequently? Old or new? 35 times in the old? and 24 in the New. The Apostle Peter is the only Bible author who uses this exact phrase, Lord and Savior, and he does so just five times. Three times he wrote, Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Once he used the phrase, Our God and Savior Jesus Christ, and yet another time he used Our Lord and Savior. Now, even though this exact phrase occurs infrequently in the Bible, what is really interesting to me is how frequently Christians today use the phrase, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because of its current widespread usage, I thought it would be interesting to look at the origin and Bible's usage of these two words, Lord and Savior. Before we do that, however, just a quick story. When I was a much younger guy, I recall a pastor who used this phrase almost every time he referred to Jesus in a sermon. He would say, Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, he would really enunciate it with even a bit of a drawn-out rhythm. I I mean, he'd say it every time. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, after hearing that phrase 36 or so times at a sermon, it kind of becomes engraved into one's memory, at least into mine. Let's start with the word Lord. This word is a bit complicated, especially in the Old Testament, so I'll do my best to unpack it and explain it. Let's go to the New Testament first. The Greek word for Lord is Kyrios or Kyrie. Curious occurs more than 600 times in the New Testament when it's just referring to God or to Christ. Are you familiar with the phrase Kyrie eleison? It's a prayer that means, Lord, have mercy. It's also been put to music many, many times, with one of the more recent songs sung by Chris Tomlin. You know, I'd sing it for you, but I really want you to keep listening to this message. Curious. When used as a title for God, means one who exercises supernatural authority over mankind. The word is typically translated as lord or ruler. Let me give you a couple examples of how the word lord is used in the New Testament when it refers to God or to Christ. An angel of the lord appeared to him. Love the lord your god with all your heart. Everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved. In most New Testament English translations, the word Lord, when it's referring to God or to Christ, is spelled with a capital L and lowercase O R D. Keep in mind though that the Greek word curious is also used in the New Testament of human beings. It is used of people who own and control property. There it is typically translated into English as owner or master. I'll give you two examples. In Luke 19, the disciples were untying the donkey to be used for Jesus' Palm Sunday ride. Its owners spoke to them. In this verse, curious is translated as owners. Or in John 13, Jesus said, No servant is greater than his master. Master is curious. Okay, that's curious in the New Testament. Let's go to the Old Testament. Now, there are two Hebrew words that are translated into English as Lord. One is the Hebrew word Adonai, which occurs about 360 times when it's just referring to God. The other word is Yahweh, and it occurs more than 6,000 times, and it always refers to God, never to people. These two words occur most often by themselves, but almost 300 times they are used together more on that in a bit. So Adonai is a word that is used in the Old Testament to refer either to God or to people. I'll give you two examples of Adonai being used the people. Remember when Jacob tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that was intended for his brother Esau? Isaac's blessing included this promise. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. You can read this in Genesis 27. Jacob received a blessing that would make him Lord, Adonai, over his family. Or recall when Jacob's sons went to Egypt to buy grain because of the famine in the land of Judah. And their brother Joseph, who, by the way, they didn't recognize, was the number two leader in all of Egypt and in charge of the grain distribution. Well, the brothers, in speaking to Joseph about buying grain, addressed him as Adonai, as Lord. You can read this in Genesis chapter 42. When Adonai is referring to a human, the English word Lord is not capitalized distinguishing it from when Adonai refers to God. The other Hebrew word translated as Lord is Yahweh. Whenever it occurs in our English translation, the word is capitalized, either all caps or small caps. Bible translators use the capital letters so that the reader knows which Hebrew word for Lord is being translated. Yahweh is the name by which God revealed himself to Moses from within the burning bush, recorded in Exodus 3. You remember that story? Moses was out in the fields, tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, who lived in Midian. The reason Moses was living in Midian was with his in-laws was because he had killed an Egyptian for beating up a fellow Israelite, and as a result had to flee Egypt. Pharaoh was looking to kill him. So Moses was tending the flock at Mount Horeb, which is also known by as Mount Sinai. At least most Bible scholars think that. Moses would soon be back to that, that mountain. Anyway, there at Mount Horeb, Moses saw a bush on fire, but it wasn't burning out. So he went to check it out. Then out of the bush came the voice of Yahweh. God told Moses that he was to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Now, Moses wasn't too excited about doing this and seemed to be looking for excuses not to go. Moses asked, what if I tell them that the God of your fathers sent me and they want to know what your name is? What do I tell them? God answered Moses by saying, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me. Then God also told Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent me. The word Lord is the name for Yahweh. Let's fast forward a bit. Moses did indeed go back to Egypt and he led the people out of the land after God inflicted 10 plagues on the Egyptian people. After Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they walked to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. There God gave his law to the Israelites. There on the mountain, Yahweh revealed more insights into the kind of God he was. This is what he told Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Yahweh revealed himself as the God of grace. Yahweh is the eternal, unchangeable God who promised to send a Savior to atone for the sins of the world. Yahweh is the I AM God and he has a special loving relationship with his people. I'm sure you are already seeing a Bible thread here. So I have a question for you. Where else do we hear about the I am God? Jesus. It was Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here's one of my favorites. Jesus told the Pharisees, before Abraham was ever born, I am. Jesus is the I am God. He is Yahweh. I mentioned earlier that Adonai and Yahweh occur frequently together in the Old Testament, in fact, 297 times, always with Adonai written first and Yahweh second. When used together, Adonai emphasizes the absolute lordship of God, and Yahweh emphasizes the absolute faithfulness of God. Let me say that again. Adonai emphasizes the absolute lordship of God And Yahweh emphasizes the absolute faithfulness of God. English translations treat this combo of words in a variety of ways. Some translations say, Lord God. Others, Almighty God. The translation that I think captures it best is the NIV, Sovereign Lord. Adonai Yahweh, Lordship and Faithfulness. I need to mention something else about the name Yahweh. One of the laws, one of the Ten Commandments, that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai around 1500 BC was a law forbidding using the name of Yahweh in vain. In other words, to use his name to do evil or use it to fail to honor Yahweh as God. What developed over time for God's Old Testament people was the practice of actually never speaking the name Yahweh. If you never spoke the name, I I guess you would never be guilty of taking it in vain. So instead of speaking the name Yahweh, they would substitute the word Adonai for it. Do you also know that Yahweh is never used in the New Testament? Not even when there's a quote from the Old Testament that contained the name Yahweh? The reason for this is that the New Testament writers use the Septuagint translation for Old Testament quotes. The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Old Testament that was undertaken around 300 years before Jesus was born. They translated Yahweh as Kyrios. So there's your trivia question and answer for the day as to why the name of Yahweh never occurs in the New Testament. Before moving on to our other word, Savior, I want to share something that Bible scholar John Piper wrote. He has a list of 10 things that Yahweh, I Am, says about God. I think Piper has some great insight here that's worth sharing. Here are the 10. God never had a beginning. God will never end. God is an absolute reality. God is totally independent. Everything that is not God depends on God. All the universe is nothing in comparison to God. God is constant, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. God does whatever he pleases, and it is always right and always beautiful and always in accord with his truth. And number 10. God is the most important and most valuable reality in the universe. So let's dig into our other word, our other grand and for today, the word Savior. Let's go back to Mount Sinai. Yahweh revealed himself as the God of free and faithful grace with an unconditional love that moved him to promise a Savior who would atone for the sins of the world. Yahweh delivered on that promise when his son arrived on planet earth as a baby born in Bethlehem. Now, even before Jesus was born, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream to announce why the Son of God was leaving heaven and coming to earth. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Because he will save his people from their sins. That's the why of Jesus leaving heaven and coming to this earth. Yahweh made a promise. He delivered on that promise. And he revealed that promise in the very name that God himself gave to his son, Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus means? It means Yahweh saves. By the way, there's a name in the Hebrew language that also means Yahweh saves. It's the name Joshua. Jesus as our Savior from sin is what is top of mind when we hear the word Savior. And it should be top of mind, because Jesus as Savior changes lives and eternities. Being saved from sin is the ultimate gift of God's grace. But there's another aspect of the word Savior, one worth exploring in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, we find a song of praise composed and sung by King David. In it, David gives praise to Yahweh for delivering him from the hand of all of his enemies, and specifically from the hand of King Saul, who repeatedly tried to kill David. The opening stanzas of this song sum up this very lengthy song. David wrote, "'The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation.' He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. From violent people, you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. Did you catch that? He is my stronghold, my refuge, and Savior. From violent people, you save me. The Lord, Yahweh, is a Savior also from David's enemies. David repeats the reference to the Savior in eight of the Psalms he wrote, and did so rather consistently. He either said, God my Savior, God your Savior, or in one case, God their Savior. Other Psalm writers also referred to God as Savior. In Psalm 79, Asaph wrote, Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name, deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Here Asaph is referring to God as a savior from sin as well as from his enemies. The sons of Korah wrote several psalms with references to God our Savior. Even Ethan the Ezraite wrote a psalm in which he quoted David as saying, You are my father, my God, the rock, my Savior. Have you ever heard of the guy by the name of Ethan the Ezraite? He was a wise guy well, rather a man of wisdom. In fact, he was the gold standard of wisdom that even King Solomon was compared to. All told, there are 13 Psalms that refer to God as Savior, either a Savior from the enemies of God's people or a Savior in the context of repentance and forgiveness. Don't ever forget that the Savior in the Old Testament is our Savior too. Another Old Testament author, the prophet Isaiah, used the word Savior multiple times, tend to be exact. The prophet Jeremiah made a couple of references to the Lord, our righteous Savior. To round out the Old Testament authors, Moses, Hosea, Micah, and Habakkuk, each had a single reference to God as Savior. So, we see the word Savior threaded throughout the Old Testament. In the new testament there are 34 references to the saving work of jesus that had been promised by yahweh in the old testament now as i mentioned earlier it was only the apostle peter who uses this exact phrase lord and savior so let's dig a little deeper into the context of peter's second letter and take a look at the five times he uses the phrase lord and savior peter's second letter begins Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. What jumps out at me is that Peter declares Jesus not only as Savior and Christ, but also declares him to be God. Peter uses the phrase Lord and Savior ten verses later. And it contains an awesome promise. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow, what a promise! The third time Peter uses our grand and for today, is in the context of a stern warning against false teachers. Listen to what Peter says. These people are springs without water and mists driven by the storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. The fourth occurrence of this phrase, Peter is about to tell his readers about the Lord's return on the last day. He encourages them to look back in order to look forward. He said, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter's final reference to Lord and Savior is probably the most familiar to most Christians. It is how he closed this letter. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Have you ever heard of a Bible scholar, pastor, and author by the name of A. W. Tozer? Maybe not. He died almost 60 years ago, but his writing lives on. Regarding Peter's use of Lord and Savior, Tozer had this to say, Jesus means Savior. The Apostle Peter did not proclaim Jesus only a Savior. He preached to them Jesus as Lord and Christ and Savior, never dividing his person or his offices. Peter, who once denied even knowing Jesus, he wanted his readers to know the complete Jesus, Lord, Christ, Savior. Tozer wrote a book that I would recommend to you, The title is The Pursuit of God. It's a fairly short book, about 100 pages, but packed with great insights. You can get it online or from your favorite bookstore. Lord and Savior. It's one of the grand ends of the Bible. It's one of those Bible threads that weaves through the entire Bible. This pair of words gives us so much joy, comfort, and confidence to live our lives. We have a Lord who saves. If you'd like a deeper perspective on the power of the word and as it is used in the Bible, I invite you to go to timeofgrace.org and watch or listen to Pastor Mike Novotny's seven-part message series entitled, The Power of And. Thanks for listening. Join me next time for another show from our Bible Thread series entitled, The Grand Ands of the Bible. God bless.